You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. Hey, turn with me if you would to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. So we're going to be in the book of Job almost the entire evening, but I promise this will not be a depressing message. Uh, I've been studying Job for like, I don't know, three or four weeks, um, and in, in looking at it, I saw something completely different than I've ever seen before in reading the book of Job. You know, typically when we talk about Job, and all of these things are so good and so applicable, applicable about his life, you know, he goes through the, the greatest difficulty of his life. Uh, he bounces back. He doesn't give up on God. You know, there's all those things, but I want to talk to you about something different tonight that I feel like hits really close to home when it comes to, to all of our lives, um, and that's the people that we're surrounded by, the people we choose to be surrounded by, and then the people that we choose to speak into their lives, and so let's, let's go. Let's take a look at it. So we're just going to kind of set this up uh, at the beginning. We're going to read a, read a lot of scripture, uh, so just bear with me. Uh, I'll try not to bore you by reading it all at once. Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. So remember that. Remember that as I'm talking the entire night, that Job feared God and shunned evil. He was blameless in God's sight. goes on and says he had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man amongst all the people of the East. So, in other words, Job was a big deal. And Job was influential, and Job was rich. Job had it all. He had finances, he had a big family, and as about to see, there were some other parts of his lives that were, that were full as well. And uh, so it goes on, and we're going to drop down to verse 13, and it says this. The oxen and donkeys were in a field walk, working and grazing. And while they were there, the Sabaeans, and the Sabaeans were known to be like these extremely large, strong human beings, like really big people. When I, when I was reading this and I've been studying about it, it makes me think of the Samoans, right? We all know about the Samoans from Hawaii. Those guys are big, they're yoked, um, they make incredible football players, and they're, they're aggressive in nature, like, you know, they're kind people, but they'll also just run over you. And so this is the kind of people that I'm imagining. And so these Sabians come along and made off with all the donkeys and oxen and killed all the servants except for one. Now this one who doesn't get killed, he runs to tell Job. That's how Job finds out that this happens. Now I want you to think about real quick the concerted effort that it takes for a group of men to steal a thousand livestock. A thousand heads of livestock. 500 which are donkeys, right? Not the easiest animals to maneuver and get around. Now the reason they did this is because Satan and God had gone to God and asked for permission to attack Job. And God 
for whatever reason God saw fit, told Satan, go and do what you're going to do. Because Satan said, Job won't serve you, right? Like, this is the part of the story that we kind of know. So, this happens. Before this guy that survived even gets this out of his mouth, in verse 16 it says, Fire fell from the sky and burned up all his sheep and servants except one. Now, I'm sure that Job was planning on cooking his sheep at some point, but I don't think this is exactly what he had in mind and all at once. Fire comes from heaven and burns up all these sheep. I, I, I don't know if this is a volcano. Like, I don't know. I don't know if back then, like, fire just fell from heaven. I, like, I don't know where the fire came from, but the fire came from somewhere. And it was destructive. And it burned up all of his sheep and all of his servants that were with the sheep except for one guy. And I, I would want to be this one servant that keeps making it out alive in all of these circumstances, by the way. And he runs and tells Job. And before he can even get that out of his mouth, it says in verse 17, the Chaldeans, which were an aggressive, warlike people, that's what they're known for. They're in the word of God and they're, they're like constantly at war. The Chaldeans made off with all the camels and put all the servants to death except one. They camel-jacked Job. They took all of his camels. 3,000 camels at one time these guys took. 3,000 camels. Imagine the evil and the coordination and the thoughts that were in all of these people's hearts that Satan planted for them to pull out these evil acts on Job. It's so important whenever we read the book of Job that we're really clear about this one thing, that God didn't do this to Job, and God didn't want this to happen to Job. This was not God's plan for Job. This was an attack of the enemy, an attack of the devil. Before he could get all of that out of his mouth, another servant shows up. And in verse 18 and 19, it says his sons and daughters, all 10, were, were eating and drinking at the oldest brother's house, and a mighty wind came, so I'm thinking like tornado type deal, right? Blows the house down, kills all of his children. And I'm assuming the servants that were there with them, because one servant made it out to come tell Job. Now, I've had some pretty bad days. Like, you know, there's been days where I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait for 8 o'clock to get here so I could just go to bed early and forget that this day happened and move on to the next day. But I have never had a day like Job had. You think about all the financial wealth. Think about how long and how much work and how much effort this guy had to put into amassing all these camels and donkeys and ox. And you know what? You don't have all of those animals for no reason. Camels are known for transporting things, right? So I would imagine he was probably transporting commerce. Why do you have so many oxen and donkeys? I'm sure they're working fields. What else would the oxen be out there working, right? So he loses the means to all of what other business opportunities that he's got going on. And then it all comes crashing down at the very end, and he loses all 10 of his kids at one time. 
And I've been with people. I've been with people in the hospital. You know, um, the, the fortunate and unfortunate part of, of being called uh, to full-time ministry is that you get to be with people when the worst things in their lives happen. Fortunate because somebody gets to be there with them. Unfortunate because it's just not fun to experience when a doctor walks out and tells somebody that their baby didn't make it. You know, or someone passed away, or it's, you know. So you go through a lot of those things and you think, my gosh, I've seen parents have to deal with that news in the moment. And I can't imagine what this guy was feeling like to lose 10 at once. And they were all his kids. So no namesake left, no nothing left, right? And so to make things even a little bit better, in Job chapter 2 and verse 9, his wife just tells him to curse God and die. So you're having a really bad day, and then you're, the one that is supposed to be there with you, right, to support you and love you and, you know, help you through everything just says, you know what, your life's pretty dang miserable. You ought to just curse God and die. Some of y'all get mad at y'all's wives because she burns the tortillas or doesn't get all the wrinkles out of your shirt or, you know, doesn't fill the car up with gas every single time. The car needs gas the next morning. Um, one of those or more of them may have been personal. Um, I don't understand. It's, you know, oh, I forgot to fill up my car with gas. Tee hee hee. <laughs> Funny at 1030 whenever I find out you need gas, right? Um, in, at night. Uh, no. But this woman just, she goes to Job and tells him, just curse God and die. Cash all your chips in. It's, it's not worth it. Just curse God and die. Well, fortunately for Job, man, he's got some friends. And if you would, uh, just look down in verse 11. And it says, when Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Timonite, Timonites were known for the wisdom of the world. Like that, that's what they were known for. Uh, they were descendants of Jacob, Esau. Bildad the Shuhite, he was named after a Babylonian false god, and his name meant son of contention. Sounds like a nice guy. And Zophar, the Namathite, whose name means doubtful, heard all about the troubles in Job's life. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm not sure that these three guys are the three guys that I'd want to be um, counseling me. But you know what? They start off, and, and this is really what I want to get into tonight. We all have a lot of friends and a lot of relationships and a lot of people in our lives. Even people that we would call friends who aren't really friends, right? Probably more like acquaintances, but, but you know, you, you care for people even through like business transactions and things like that. And, uh, you know, you find yourself surrounded by people and sometimes they mean their very, very best. Man, they're, they're, they're like, they're trying to be a good friend. They think they, they're doing what's right. And these guys show up, and man, I give them credit. Job's in mourning, uh, Job's in mourning, and he sits there. They sit there for seven days and seven nights, and don't say a word to Job. They just sit there with him and and grieve with him. Like these guys aren't—they're not slouches. 
you know, they showed up during a hard time for their friend. They're all from other places. That's why it said they're from those places. And they all traveled to us to spend time with Job. And they spend a whole week with him and, and spend a week of their lives sitting with this guy just in mourning. Just letting him, you know, let it out. I'm sure he was crying and, you know, I'm, man, I'm sure that they were probably tending to his food and water needs because it doesn't sound like his wife was probably taking care of those things. She pretty much gave up on him, right? But he's got these three friends and they show up. And as I get into this, you know, I'm, I'm, I mentioned what their names mean and all that. And I'm not telling you to look up the meanings of your friends' names and be like, oh, you know, that one guy, guy, sorry, you know, let's get rid of him. And, and uh, oh, he's got a good meaning of a name, let's take him. But what their name spoke to was their character. And we should all be constantly doing an inventory of the people that we surround ourselves with and their character. And we're never, we're, we're never going to hit the jackpot and get somebody perfect around unless you've made Jesus the Lord of your life and you already got him. So you can stop looking for somebody else because nobody else can live up to that. But, you know, we should surround ourselves with at least people of character. Well, these are the three guys that come and hang out with them. And, uh, you know, it's so important that when we're choosing friends, that we choose people who have godly character. Not good morals by the system of the world. Not just people who would help you move. Not just people who would buy your lunch. Like, those kind of people are great to have in your life. Thank God for them. But when it comes down to it, we're about to see what happens and what unfolds with these three guys in Job's life. The Word of God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33, do not be misled. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Right? So just, just remember that as we're going through this. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So we're jumping now to Job chapter 4 and verses 1 through 6 because Job spends the next two chapters basically like welling and grieving. And I mean, when I read it, it, ju it just comes off kind of whiny, right? Now, I say that, but the guy's just lost thousands of heads of livestock, he lost his 10 kids. Who am I to say how the guy should be feeling, right? And so, but he's going through it, and, and that's the tone of his conversation, you know, basically kind of, woe is me, but he, he never curses God. He never does what his wife told him to do. He never does that. But in Job chapter 4, one of his friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, speaks up and he replies, If someone ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? But who can keep from speaking? Think how you have instructed many, how you have strengthened feeble hands. Your words have supported those who stumbled. You have strengthened faltering knees. But now trouble comes to you and you are discouraged. It strikes you and you are dismayed. Should not your piety be your confidence and your blameless ways, your hope? Now, that sounds kind of pretty good, right? Like he's telling Job, basically he's telling Job, you're a good guy. You've, you've done all of these things. Like you've helped people out in their hard times. Like you're a good guy. But you know, church family, when we get into the middle of these 
traumatic situations and stuff's going on everywhere and we can't control it, the last thing we need is somebody to speak into our ear and give us some sort of flattery. Because flattery fleets quickly. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And you're going to see this guy changes his tone here in a little bit. And so, you know, and Jesus said there's no one good but the Father. So I don't know what this guy's motive is. The, the Bible doesn't say what his motive is. I just know that for these first uh, few scriptures, you know, like he's saying some things that if one of your friends came to you in a hard time and they were telling you things, you would think, man, they're really trying to encourage me. They're reminding me like what a good person I am. But it goes somewhere else. And as it unfolds, you'll see exactly where it goes. So my second point tonight, my first one being choosing godly friends means choosing people of character. My second point tonight is listen to friends who won't patronize or flatter you. We jump to Job chapter 8, and starting in verse 1 there. And the next one of his friends speaks up. Bildad, the Shuite, replied, How long will you say such things? Because for the next four, uh, well, the next two chapters, because the other guy's pretty long-winded. They're all pretty long-winded. Um, the next guy goes on and on and on, and then Job goes on and on for a couple of chapters. And, you know, for reasons of focusing on his, his friends, we're going to stick to what they say. But Bildad says this, how long will you say such things? Your words are a blustering wind. This guy's kind of blunt. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. But if you will seek God earnestly and plead with the Almighty, if you are pure, if you are pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your prosperous state. Now, how many of you, that sounds, that sounds pretty good, right? Like he's talking about the goodness of God, the ability of God to move. And he's right in that matter. But where does he go wrong? In Job chapter 1, what did God say about Job? That he was righteous. He was blameless and upright. And so this guy starts getting on to him. He's like, man, had your kids not been such sinners? You guys ever have someone talk to you guys like this? And they come from a place of like self-righteousness where it's like your kids this and your kids that and that and you're just like, oh my gosh, take that itty bitty pebble out of my son's eye or my daughter's eye and leave that huge plank in your own eye so you can't see what's going on with your own kids, right? I learned a long time ago never to say, oh, my kids would never fill in the blank, right? Because your kids will always be filling in the blanks. They're, they're going to fill your life up with those blanks. And, and you're going to be like, oh, I did not see that coming. But if you're not chastising someone else about their kids filling in the blanks, then you don't have to eat your own words, right? Well, the, this guy, man, he, he really went after Job. And he has the, the nerve to tell Job, if you will seek God earnestly and plead with the Almighty. And if you're to read some of the scripture where Job is uh, bloviating about all the stuff going on, you'll see that Job is actually, he is asking God for help. All along the way, he is. And uh, he's just dealing with his emotions at the same time. So, this guy says that. Then in Job chapter 11, 
after Job complains or, or you know, talks a little bit more. Then Zophar the Namathites replied, are all these words to go unanswered? Is this talker to be vindicated? Will your idle talk reduce others to silence? Will no one rebuke you when you mock? Yet if you devote your heart to him and stretch out your hands to him, here come the accusations again. If you'll devote your heart to God and stretch your hands out to him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then free of fault you will lift up your face. You will stand firm and without fear. So here we go again. Friends are, are attacking him and, and and I don't really, I, don't, I honestly don't think that they're attacking him on purpose. You know, people say these things a lot of times. And they're misguided in them. Things like, well, you know, God just needed another angel in heaven. So he took your loved one. And, and church family, people mean well by that. But that is a lie. And who's the father of lies? Does God already have angels in heaven? Is that what people become when we pass away? No. And I know people mean well by saying that, and gosh, don't, don't look at me if you've said that before and be like, you know, oh, I know he's, he knows I said that. No, I don't. I don't. I don't have anybody in mind saying that. Just being around these things that happen all the time, these are the things that we hear all the time. You know, and people try to, they try to explain things away, sometimes other than, you know, your loved one either made a bad decision or the enemy's just evil. And he'll just take when he can take. John 10.10 10 tells us the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus speaking, have come to give you life and life abundantly, Right? So it's really clear which side both of these, both of these, um, these entities stand on, God and the enemy. So as they go on and they're telling Job that God is punishing for him for his sin, the thought that came to me was that you never listen to friends who don't know the character of God. And you don't take their advice. Because if they don't know the character of God, they're going to lead you astray. And again, this isn't something that people do on purpose. They're trying to help. I believe 100% that these guys love Job. Man, they traveled and they've already sat with him for a week. No words. These guys love Job. They're invested in Job's life. But because they don't know the character of God, like Pastor was talking about on Sunday, right? knowing God in that way, because they don't know the character of God, they don't know what to say about him. And in their trying to get on to Job, really what they're saying is, God paid you back for what you did. Hold on a second, I'd be real careful about starting to tell God what he's doing and what he's not doing. God tells us in his word, God tells us through his character what he does and, do, and, and does not do, Right? But, but these guys are attributing some things to God that don't belong to God. And again, they're trying to help. Church family, that's why we have to be so careful about how, who we allow to speak into our lives. I have a ton of friends that I speak into their life, but they don't speak into mine. 
And, and no, I'm not talking about people in this church. We're brothers and sisters. We speak in each other's lives. Amen? Amen. But man, I have, I have people in the world that I consider friends. And, you know, if a guy has had seven divorces, he's not giving me marriage advice. Or parenting advice about how to be faithful to my kids and, you know, make decisions based on what's best for them. Do I hold that against them that they've had seven marriages? No. But that's something they haven't figured out yet. That might be the guy I go to if I can't get my car running. He might give me the very best advice as far as cars go. He's figured that out, but he hadn't figured that other part out. And so we have to be really careful about who we allow to speak into our lives spiritually. I, I, well, I'll, I'll not jump there yet. Man, I want to get to the end already, but I'm, I can't yet. We've got to lay some more foundation here. And so um, uh, jump over to Job chapter 15 with me. And because there's a lot of talking that goes on uh, in between here. And I would encourage you sometime, man, if you've never read the whole book of Job, go read the book of Job. It's a, it is so full of insight. It's incredible. It, if you really get into it and if you really put yourself in the middle of what he's going through, man, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll be frustrated. You'll ask yourself all kinds of questions about your own life. How you trust and believe in God, it's so good. But, again, we're focusing on his friends tonight. So in Job chapter 15 and verses 7 through 9, it says, this is uh, Eliphaz again. He says, are you the first man ever born? Golly, man. Were you brought forth before the hills? Like now he's asking him basically, are you Jesus? Are you God? Do you listen in on God's counsel? Do you have a monopoly on wisdom? What do you know that we don't know? What insights do you have that we don't have? See, Job said something that offended these guys. The next one in Job chapter 18, he's offended too. Bildad the Shuhite replied, When will you end these speeches? Be sensible and then we can talk. Why are we regarded as cattle and considered stupid in your sight? See, his friends have gotten offended because basically what happened was he came back and said, and Job is justifying himself way too much. Where Job went wrong, he justified his actions. He justified his own life even higher than, than God's influence on his life. Like he was basically saying, man, I didn't do anything to deserve this. And, and, uh, and whenever he says that, he says it in a way where he's laying it out like, <coughs> he never said God wronged him, but he got really close. Right, I don't know how else to explain it to you. You have to go in there and read it to see it for yourself. He just gets so close to saying, basically, I didn't do anything to deserve this. God let this happen to me. <clears throat> and he shouldn't have. So that's where Job's mistake was. But he lined these guys out and said, listen, what you're saying about my sinful life, you're wrong. And Job was right about that. They were wrong. He was righteous in God's sight. Amen. So, in Job 20, Zophar the Namathite replied, My troubled thoughts prompt me to answer because I'm greatly disturbed. I hear a rebuke that dishonors me, and my understanding inspires me to reply. Remember, he's a man of great understanding, right? So, so much wisdom. Then in Job 22, Eliphaz speaks up again and says, 
Can a man be, uh, be of benefit to God? Can even a wise person benefit him? Talking about God. What pleasure would it give the Almighty if you were righteous? What would he gain if your ways were blameless? God already said his ways were blameless. Is it for your piety that he rebukes you and brings charges against you? Is not your wickedness great? Are not your sins endless? So this was the guy that first started that was flattering Job. His tones changed a little bit, huh? Because he got corrected. Church family, one of the worst friendships that we can hang on to are friendships with people who get easily offended. Offended at the grocery store, offended at McDonald's, offended at church, offended at home. Like they're just constantly offended. Someone is always doing them wrong. When you see that trait in someone, try to help them. But don't let them speak into your life because offense is a trap. And the trap just doesn't catch them. That trap will walk you right into it too. Before you know it, you'll be carrying their water from the well, their water of offense. You'll be carrying their buckets of offense to someone else. And again, our friends don't do this stuff on purpose. They don't do this stuff on purpose. We just have friends that sometimes, just don't, they don't know better. You know, these guys are not godless men. They know God. They're, they're like, they know who God is. They're speaking about him. They, they even correct at the end of this. They make a correction and offer a sacrifice. But they don't know his character. And so, don't let friends who are easily offended speak into your life. You're thinking to, to yourself probably right now, oh my gosh, I don't have any friends who can speak into my life, right? Um, yes, you do. Yes, you do. You have friends that can speak into your life. I look across this room and, man, this room's full of people that are always welcome to speak into my life. And many of you do. Many of you do speak into my life. And, and just because people aren't perfect doesn't mean they can't speak into your life. But I'm talking about patterns of people. Right? Like, these guys are on one a little bit. They're offended. So, listen to friends who are not easily offended. So they double down now that God is punishing him for his sin. You know, they didn't listen to what he said. They're, they double down. And they're basically saying, you know, you did this, so God is doing that. And once again, they misrepresent the character of God. And that's where the danger is for these guys. In Job chapter 25, again, starting in verse 1, it says, Then Bildad the Shuhite replied, Dominion and awe belong to God. He establishes order in the heights of heaven. Man, he's right about that. He's speaking truth to Job in that sentence. Can his forces be numbered? On whom does his light not rise? How then can a mortal be righteous before God? How can one born of woman be pure? Was there someone who was born of a woman who was pure? Jesus. And it had already been prophesied by this time. It's not like they didn't have access to that information. The first prophecy about Jesus happened in Genesis. <coughs> Genesis chapter 3. And then where there were all kinds of prophecies. Uh, one of these guys is a direct, the, the second guy that we talked about, Bildad. Uh, was it Bildad the Shuite? 
um, one of these guys was a direct descendant of Abraham, and he prophesied about Jesus, and the word of God talked about him about, about being the foreshadowing. Remember him and his son, Isaac? It was a foreshadowing of the story of our father and Jesus being laid on an altar as an innocent sacrifice. Job and his friends knew this. But this guy, man, who does that sound like? That's the enemy, right? And they're tearing him down and they're saying things that are contradicting to the word of God. <coughs> Bildad is like a lot of people who claim to be believers. A lot of people that I know that claim to be believers. And I think many of them are. He's just not accurate about what the word of God says. You know, I laugh sometimes when people like, you know, get something off a fortune cookie and they repeat it as scripture, you know. I think we've probably all done something like that at some point, right? Where we're like, oh, I'm pretty sure the Bible says something like, you know, uh, I was talking to pastor the other day, and, or today actually, and uh, we were messing around or whatever, and, and uh, I said, yeah, what is that one scripture? Out of the mouths of idiots. Um, you know, and the scripture says out, out of the mouths of babes, right? Um, and so, but so many times we get these other sayings and other thoughts in our mind, and we'll quote it as scripture, and not even realize we're doing it sometimes. Becomes, it becomes such a part of our thought life, you know, other things outside of the word of God. And, and we need to be careful to do that because at the end of this, we don't want to be the kind of friends that these three guys are. This is not the kind of person that I want to be in any of my family's life or my friend's lives or any of you who may be my friends or becoming friends, my church family, these are not the kind of guys that I want to emulate in relationship, right? And we do see a good example of someone who does. So point number five is listen to people's advice if they speak the truth. And don't do it just because they've been a good friend for a long time and they mean well. You know, I've had a lot of people tell me um, in the church, you know, well, that person has been my friend for a really long time. They've been really loyal. So I'm going to listen to what they have to say. That is, a, that is a bad reason to listen to somebody's advice because they've been around for a long time. Have you ever thought that maybe that person's just not that good at making friends? Or maybe you're not that good at making friends? <laughs> Right? <laughs> and we just have like two or three friends. That's, that's who we got, so we're sticking with them. But I hear people say that kind of stuff all the time. Like, man, I've been, I've been with that guy forever. You know, we were in second and third grade together, and we got into all this kind of trouble, and he's still getting in trouble. And, and I'm like, well, hold on a second. If he's still getting in trouble, like, that's not the guy you want to take advice from right now. It's cool. Love him. Stick by him. Man, if he's in the hospital, go. If he needs food, feed him. Somebody passes away, go to their funeral. Be there with them. But don't heed his advice. Amen? You guys are all looking at me like you're super, super serious. <laughs> Try not to make this super serious. I have a hard time being serious for too long of a, in a stretch as it is. In Job chapter 32 and verses 2 and 3, somebody's voice who is new speaks up. And I think it's really interesting that the Word of God didn't mention this guy's name before because he had heard... All of Job's and these three friends, he had heard all of their conversation. So I don't know if he came after that week of silence and he's just with them now. I don't know if he was there for the entire time. But 
and, and studying history and, and looking at some scriptures in the word of God, this guy's probably related to Job. And in verse 2 it says, but Elihu, and this guy's name means God is Jehovah. That's this guy's reputation. That's this family's reputation. God is Jehovah. Elihu says, who is the son of Barakel the Buzzite? So they're from Buzz, right? Of the family of Ram. Oh, this is the guy. This is the guy that was related to Abraham. From the family of Ram. Because uh, that's, that's also linked to Aram, who was the son of, of Abraham. And, uh, you know, kind of cool that, that they call it the family of Ram since it was the ram that was found in the thicket, right, that um, was able to be sacrificed in the place of Isaac. So from the family of Ram, this guy's from Abraham's family, became very angry with Job for justifying himself rather than God. He's mad at Job for justifying himself rather than God. He was also angry with, his, with the th three friends because they had found no way to refute Job and yet had condemned him. Like they couldn't give him an answer. They couldn't refute him, but they condemned him. You know, the one guy started talking all rose petals and nice to him, and then it all just started going south from there. And they just condemned Job. Well, he knew this wasn't getting anything done. The reason this guy didn't speak up earlier is because he's a young guy. And I want to say something to all the people who are young sitting in the congregation right now. Sometimes, I'm, can, I, can I just be blunt about this part of it? Sometimes, young people, you guys take the cop out. And you think, well, I'm young. I cannot do that. You know what we say when we're not as young as we used to be anymore because I ain't old? <laughs> I can't do that anymore because I'm not young. And young people are like, I can't do that because I'm not old enough. Young people, don't give yourself a way out. The word of God is full of young people who step to the forefront. David was young. He was a teenager when he did what he did. Timothy was a very young man. All the apostles, with the exception of Peter, were under the age of 21. Young people. This guy's a young man. And he was smart. Man, this guy's wise beyond his years. He said, I just figured wisdom should speak. Before youth would speak. Like I figured all the gray hair in the room, and that's really what he said, all the gray hair would carry the wisdom, but then he basically says, but apparently not. That's not the way it went. And so, and so I have the answer, and so I'm going to speak up. This is the kind of friend that we all need. This is the kind of friend that whenever you get into the thickest stuff, will look at you and say, nobody's gotten to the point yet. Nobody has spoke to the character of God. Nobody's told you the way out. None of his other three friends gave him a remedy. Now they all said, man, if you'll just give your heart to God. But Job had already done that. Doesn't say anything else. But this guy, man, he's got answers. I love this guy. And it said, yet they can give them. Um, so my last point before I go on to speak a little more about, about him is good friends who give good advice always help you to hear from the Father. And that's what Elihu did, or Elihu, however you want to say that. Um, I do not have a, I barely speak English, much less 
whatever all this stuff is, right? But, you know, this guy, he was different because he led Job to the Father. He goes on to tell Job how to get himself out, out of the mess. And he basically tells him, stop focusing on yourself and what you've done right and how you feel wronged and just put your eyes on the Father. Just stop with all the words and just put your focus on him. Ask questions, don't make statements. It's basically what this guy's telling him. And there's a, the reason I'm not reading it right out of the scriptures is because it's long. Like, you know, three or four chapters long to get to all that information. But he lines Job out. And he lines those other guys out. And he told them. He said, you guys have mischaracterized the father. You're saying things that he wouldn't do. Church family, man, when our friends tell us something, it should line up with the word. And if it does, man, you need to thank God for that friend. Man, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking around and I know so many of you so well that I know who your friends are. And I know that, that so many of you have fantastic friendships and people who speak like this into your life. And you speak like this into other people's lives. And this is what we should be doing. This is what we should be doing. You know, when we're speaking into people's lives who are lost, people who don't know any better, Church, it's just, it's, it's coming down to a time where we can't beat around the bush anymore. Being nice to people is not going to get them to heaven. Some preachers will tell you it will, but it won't. The only thing that's going to get them to heaven is them realizing that Jesus is Lord and them accepting him. Am I saying be mean and rude and nasty to people? Absolutely not. I hope my character is that I'm a pretty nice person. But I'm also the kind of person that will just tell you straight too. And man, I'm working really hard to be the kind of friend that this last guy is. Because it's not even about telling people straight. It's about telling them the truth. And we don't have time not to tell people the truth anymore. You know, I hear about these, these celebrities dying, passing away all the time, you know. Um, the guy who played uh, in Rocky, opposite of, of Rocky, uh, the guy who played Apollo Creed, you know, he passed away this week, Carl Weathers. And then um, the country singer, always get, uh, Toby Keith, you know, he passed away. And the first thing I always think of when I hear about these people passing away is, man, I hope they knew Jesus. Because, you know, th those people brought some, some joy to my life, you know. Um, I didn't enjoy all of Toby Keith's music, but I enjoyed some of it. I really enjoyed the fact that he was a diehard Dallas Cowboys fan. So I'm pretty sure he's in heven for that reason. <laughs> no. That's not how it works, right? Um, but these people pass away, and, and I'm just like, man, I hope they knew Jesus because all the money they made, all the relationships they had, 
all the everything, man, in that moment, it, it meant nothing to those people. It means nothing to those people. You can cash checks all your life if you want to. In the end, it's going to mean nothing to you if you don't know Jesus. Now, if you're cashing checks and taking care of orphans and widows, and come on, do it right. That's awesome. But in Job chapter 42 and verse 7, after Elihu had spoken to Job and his three friends, it said, after the Lord said, had said these things to Job, because God spoke to Job for three chapters. I don't know how long that was in real time, but um, he said to Eliphaz the Timonite, I am angry with you and your friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. You know, of all the things that Job went through, the one thing he never did to God is he never mischaracterized him. Like he put himself up too high, but he didn't mischaracterize God. He never said that God was evil intended or had a bad heart or, and, and it saddens me because sometimes we hear people say those things, you know. How could God take my loved one? My goodness, God didn't take your loved one. If you've ever had that thought, God did not take your loved one. If, if your loved one's in heaven, he received your loved one. None of us, yeah. None of us deserve to be there with him. He didn't take anybody. He receives us. And he wants to receive you into heaven. And if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, he's going to give you an opportunity. We're going to give you an opportunity tonight. And so if you would, please bow your heads and close your eyes. And as you're meditating on your own life, I just want to tell you that after all that happened, Job doubled his sheep, donkeys, oxen, and camels. He had 10 more children, and he lived 140 more years and enjoyed four generations from his children to his grandchildren, great-grandchildren to his great-great-grandchildren and saw them blessed. What God's looking to do in your life tonight is to multiply you. You know, maybe at one time you had something in your life that you really loved and cared about or someone that you loved and cared about. Maybe you were at a place where you were serving God and you walked away from that and you feel like you've lost it all. Maybe you've never known Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never made that decision and you just feel like you're always wanting something else. Like what you have is just not quite enough. It never will be until Jesus is the Lord of your life. He's the only one who can satisfy, fill up, and make happy. And so the Word of God makes it really easy for us to receive him as the Lord and Savior of our lives. He says this. He says, if you'll believe in your heart and confess your, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. That's all it takes. Believing on the inside, confessing it on the outside. And so I'm going to lead everybody in the room in a prayer and ask you to pray that prayer with me and receive Jesus as the Lord of your life. If you need to make that right tonight. And if that is you and you're going to be praying with me and you're like, yeah, I'm going to do that. 
I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. And then, on the count of three, I just want you to lift up your hand, and then you can put it right back down. Don't make this decision flippantly. Don't be like Job's friends that said one thing one moment and felt away another moment. If you're going to make this decision, as you lift your hand, you're making a declaration, I'm going to stick with this. I'm going to let Jesus be the friend of all friends. If that's you, you want to receive him right now. On the count of three, one, two, three. Go ahead and lift your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for all those hands. Thank you, thank you for those hands. I see those hands in the back. Thank you so much. Thank you, you can put those hands down. And so now I'm just going to lead you in a very simple prayer. So please repeat after me. Church family, let's pray with all these. Dear Heavenly Father, I sit before you this evening and I know that I need a change because what I'm doing isn't working for me. And I know you're the answer. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for trading places with me. Thank you for giving me life. Please come into my heart. Be my Savior and be my Lord. I'll do whatever you ask of me. Just make me the best version of myself that I can be. And as I receive your forgiveness, I choose to forgive anyone who's ever hurt me or spoken against me or disappointed me. I release them to you, Lord. Jesus, thank you. I love you. And I pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.